You are Locked On SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into Locked On SEC. Great to have you guys here. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Today on the show, very excited to catch up with SEC Associate Commissioner Herb Vincent. We will talk all things SEC with him. We'll get some thoughts on the health safety protocols for all the SEC football programs, how different game days will look, and so on and so forth. We'll also continue our week-long SEC East preview. Today we'll head out to South Carolina, talk with Ben Briner, covers the Gamecocks for the state newspaper out there. They had some big news today as the Gamecocks officially announced a starter at quarterback and probably not who a lot of you thought it would be. So we got that as well as other news and notes from around the SEC. We've got a date for college basketball when that's going to start. So we will have SEC basketball back in just a couple of weeks as well. So plenty of stuff to get into. I am Chris Gordy. Make sure you subscribe and follow Locked on SEC for free wherever you get your podcast. You'll get the latest episode of this one as soon as it comes out five days a week. And by the way, Keep you uh, subscribed and listening tomorrow on the show. Really excited. We're going to have Ryan McGee, uh, 50% of Marty and McGee. He'll join us. He's got a new book out called Sidelines and Bloodlines. So real excited to talk with Ryan McGee. Real excited to talk with Herb Vincent today. You know, I just thought it would be good for us to talk with somebody from the league office about just everything that they've gone through the last couple of months getting ready for the season, how they pulled it off, how they made it work, and how they stood steadfast while – Other conferences were canceling football left and right. The SEC said, look, we're going to continue to monitor, track the data, talk with health officials, and see what's doable. And shout out to the SEC for making it happen. Let's jump right into it as we do every day around this time, and let's go around the conference. Boots out to the right. Makes the handoff. Around the conference. I just saw this come out this afternoon. Sources around college football saying the SEC is expected to adopt a 53-player minimum to play games this season. The distinction here is that it is 53 scholarship players, and that is expected to include a minimum of one quarterback, seven O-linemen, and four D-linemen. That is still pending final approval, but it seems to be headed that way. Why that matters is, you know, look, if your whole quarterback room tests positive, you can't play a game. If you don't have at least seven O-linemen, meaning five starters and two backups, you can't play a game. And if you have four, you know, more than four or five D-linemen out, you can't play a game. So all of that coming this way, I mean, again, it's imperative even more so that the SEC continues to track, continues to test, and do what they need to do to make sure their players are staying coronavirus-free. But I uh, thought that was interesting that it's a 53-player minimum. So if you don't have 53 players that are healthy and active, you ain't playing, bub. We ain't going high school style and playing kids both ways. Can you imagine? Uh, From the NCAA yesterday, I saw this. They said the FCS championship will be conducted April 18th through May 15th. Again, that's FCS. And they will go with 16 instead of 24 teams. What that means is we get spring ball. We'll be watching college football from August 29th this year through May 15th of next year. (laughs) 
I know not a lot of you are going to be excited to watch FCS football. I'm just saying, if you're a college football nut like I am, it's a lot of fun. We'll be able to watch. Make it a year-round sport. Why not? Uh, Division One student athletes have announced yesterday that they will not practice and compete among other countable athletically-related activities on the first Tuesday after November 1st every year including the upcoming election day of this year on November 3rd. Basically, they're telling all the student-athletes, we're not going to let school or extracurriculars get in the way of your civic duty of voting. College basketball, I mentioned, they, news came out yesterday, they, are on, they were on track, or are on track for a, a November 25th start date. Originally, they were supposed to start on November 10th. That would mean if they do start college basketball on that date, Auburn basketball season opener and the Iron Bowl will happen in the same week. Look, it's crazy times. That's what's happening around uh, the college football world. In the SEC, Eli Drinkwitz, Elia Drinkwitz at Missouri, he came out and said yesterday that 12 players on his team are out for COVID reasons right now. It's not all positives, but, you know, basically contact tracing and all that. Came in contact with a guy who was positive. But all 12 of those players are going to be out for the Alabama game. SEC starts games next weekend. COVID testing is going on at all the schools on Sundays, Wednesdays, and Fridays just about. Starting last Sunday, if a player was found to have uh, contracted or contacted a positive person through tracing, he is out 14 days. So Mizzou is already going to be behind the eight ball. And now... They are going to be without 12 players for the opener against Alabama next week. In Arkansas, the Razorbacks announced with limited fans in the stands, they want to virtually bring more fans inside the stadium. So to help keep home field advantage for the Hogs, fans can shoot a video on their cameras and submit the video to air on the video board inside of the stadium. They're also asking fans if they want, they can write a hand letter that will be posted as a note in the locker room for the team. Look, it's not the same as being there, but it's just an extra step to get the fans involved. At Ole Miss, they just announced you only have one day left to order your fan cutout. Get to upload your picture, and they'll print out the cardboard cutout and put it in the stands of Vaught-Hemingway Stadium for the Florida game on September 26th. At LSU, their defensive lineman Neil Farrell was back at practice today. Farrell originally opted out on August 8th because of COVID concerns. His grandmother was sick with the disease at the time. But he has since decided to go back to LSU. And he tweeted today, feels good to be back. Hashtag point to prove. At Alabama, their defensive lineman DJ Dale speaking with the media today. He said that quarterback Mac Jones, quote, has lit a fire under our offense. Got to fill the, the shoes of Tua Tagovailoa from last season. But Mac Jones, we saw little glimpses of him on the back half of last season. See if he can get that offense going just like Tua did this year one other side note Nick Saban did announce yesterday they're beginning testing their players every day for the coronavirus so pretty interesting with Missouri already with 12 players out next week Nick Saban saying we are not taking any chances we are going to test our guys every single day and at South Carolina they have named a starting quarterback for their opener against Tennessee a little bit of a surprise they're going with Colin Hill the transfer quarterback from Colorado State, who played under Mike Bobo there. We're going to talk all about that as we continue to preview our SEC East teams today. Ben Briner from the state is going to join us in the final segment of our show. And real quick, just some Vegas odds. The latest Vegas odds just dropped 
Alabama, the overwhelming favorite to win the SEC. Second best odds behind them is Florida and Georgia at 7-2. So they both have the second best odds to win the SEC. LSU is third at 5-1. to one. And gets a pretty good value on Auburn at 12 to 1, as well as Texas AM 12 to 1. And then your long shots, Kentucky 40 to 1, Tennessee 66 to 1, Mississippi State 100 to 1, Ole Miss 125 to 1, Mizzou and South Carolina at 150 to 1. And your real long shots, Arkansas 250 to 1, and Vandy 300 to 1. If I'm looking for value there, Tennessee at 66 to 1. I know everybody's all in on Georgia and Florida, but. It's not crazy to say the Vols could compete in the East this year. Pull a little money on them. Pull a little money on Auburn, too. 12-1? to 1? Come on. Would Bo Nix outplays Kyle Trask this year in terms of veteran quarterbacks? I guess I should put Kellen Mond in that category, but in my mind, it's between Trask and Bo Nix for the best year for a quarterback in the SEC. That is around the conference. When we return, we're going to catch up with Herb Vincent, SEC Associate Commissioner will get his thoughts on what game day is going to look like around the SEC campuses coming up starting next week as they will allow some fans into the stands. What is it going to look like? We'll talk to Herb Vincent coming up. Look, let's face it. When you need something for your car, a lot of times we always feel like, oh, it's just easy. Let me just run to, to the chain store across town and go get what I need and walk up and down the aisles and then... Got people pestering me. Hey, can I help you find what you're looking for? And then half the time, they don't even know where to find it. They got to go type it into the computer to find the part. Save yourself the hassle. Go to rockauto.com. They will find what you are looking for for your vehicle. They are a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. rockauto.com, the place to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything that you need. We talked about it before. Brake parts tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet, whatever you're looking to do, whether it's a new car, car, an old car, a classic, whatever you need for your car, rockauto.com has all the parts available for your car or truck. When you go there, make sure you're right locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car is ever going to need. Save yourself the hassle, rockauto.com. Rolling on here on the Locked On SEC podcast and really excited to talk with this guy when we talk about the the offseason and everything that's gone into having an SEC season. Here we are just a week away from the SEC football season getting underway. We've got other sports starting this week around the conference and I know nobody is more excited to have SEC athletics back as well as all the schools and a lot of students back on campus and going to class than Herb Vincent, the SEC Associate Commissioner, joining us now. Herb, how are you, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. How are you? We're doing good, man. I just thought it'd be uh, for our audience, you know, diehard, passionate SEC fans all across the South. Thought it'd be a good um, kind of behind the scenes to get someone involved at the SEC office to kind of just shed some light on what these last couple of months have been like. So I ask, what, what have these last couple of months been like for you? Well, in this world, I never knew we could be so busy without playing any sports. <laughs> and, uh, you know, immediately after the basketball tournaments um, in uh, March when they were shut down, we spent a lot of time just um, canceling events. You know, there's a lot of uh, – one thing I'm really involved in is our baseball tournament. And just the uh, – I didn't understand you know, how much time and effort would take into 
not having an event, much less having an event. So there's a lot of things. And then it transitioned into getting ready for the fall sports season and, and trying to do all the things necessary to prepare for for games if we played. And so there's been a tremendous amount of work done by our campuses, uh, a lot of communication between this office and uh, our uh, the various groups on our campuses. For instance, for a long time, we had daily calls with our athletics directors uh, and biweekly calls with our presidents and chancellors. That's trimmed down a little bit to two days a week for ADs and one day a week for presidents and chancellors. But there's ongoing conversations between groups of um, game management directors, communications directors, um, uh, marketing directors, uh, senior women administrators, and, and then now we're starting to get into discussions with coaches and other sports. I just got off of one uh, talking even about uh, the baseball softball season and just contingency planning about what may happen even that far out. So it's just been constant, constant communication, and uh, it's been challenging, but uh, just an amazing time uh, for for all of us in society right now. Yeah, I think we, you know we've heard some of the stories from other conferences, maybe lacking that that communication and staying on top of everything. What went into you know when when other conferences were canceling their seasons left and right? Um, what went into it all for the SEC to just say, look, we're going to keep pushing everything back. We're going to continue to talk with doctors, health officials, and see what's doable, but we're not just going to shut everything down. We're going to keep pushing things back until we get more data. Commissioner Sankey likes to tell the story that pretty early on in this process, he had a conversation with a biostatistician, which he didn't, he had never heard of that term before, nor had I, but he had a conversation with her. She's on one of our campuses. And she said, in the process of making a major decision, it's best to wait as long as you can to gather as much information as you can. So it became kind of the foundation of everything we do is to just be patient and not make a decision about something until you have to make that decision. And it goes all the way really back until March and, to March and April and when we would be asked a lot of questions about what if this, what if that. Well, there are a lot of what ifs that you didn't have to you didn't have to decide in March and April. And so, you know, decide the things in March and April, you have to decide in March and April. And then decide the things in May, you have to decide in May. And same as we move through the summer. And so we've just taken it a step-by-step process. And in, for instance, just the sport of softball, I'm sorry, sport of football. You know, back in May, we're seeing what, what will it take to get our student athletes back on campus? So we set a date to get them back to campus the next hurdle then is, okay, what do we do to, to ramp up their conditioning to, to uh, more, more hours per week? So how do we structure our safety protocols around that to make sure they're safe to do that? And we took that step. So it's been a step-by-step process all along putting the health and safety of the student athletes first. And, and so far, it's a formula that has worked. Um, but I say so far because uh, we don't play a game for another uh, – a week in, in in football, we do start soccer tomorrow and uh, cross country tomorrow. And so uh, we're ready for our sports seasons, but we'll continue to monitor developments around COVID-19 and proceed with that step-by-step process. I think a lot of SEC fans were excited about the concept of going all-conference 
Uh, you know, look, it makes sense. Limit the travel, limit exposure to other schools that may not have the same testing protocols or capabilities. But by the same realm, Herb, it, it becomes a juggernaut every single week where you eliminate all the quote-unquote cupcakes. And, I mean, even, even the teams who maybe struggle and aren't as good year in and year out in the conference still will give the big dogs, you know, tough fights because they're so used to seeing them every year. And so it just becomes that much tougher. But just your thoughts on, on playing 10 in-conference games all season. I think your word is the best, juggernaut. It's a juggernaut schedule. And uh, it's if you look week by week, there's just great games every week. Uh, there's no breaks. <clears throat> but the, the main um, purpose between have, having, a conf, behind having a conference-only schedule was it gave us, the, gave us the best control over the schedule. So if you have a cancellation or an interruption, when they're all your schools, it's easier to reschedule. Uh, to plug in games and open dates, move things around if necessary. We created a um, three – everybody has an open date within the three-week period in the middle of the season, and then there's one common open date for everybody on December the 12th. And so it just makes it a lot easier when they're your own schools and you have a better – gave us the best chance for a complete season to be able to start and finish the season on time. I, I, st- I saw the email come out today from uh... – from the conference basically issuing even more um, you know, information from the media on, on what a game day is going to look like for the media. G- give us a general idea of what a game day is going to look like for fans. And I know the information is kind of out there and a lot of the schools have communicated it, but you know, it's going to be limited fans. But you know, I think most of the schools are saying, look, we don't want tailgating. We don't want 20,000 people showing up with the RVs and the tents and cooking jambalaya. You don't want people congregating at all. So in your mind, what are, what are SEC game day is going to look like this fall? Well, it's going to look very different. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, we look forward to the day when, when we can get back to the, all the traditions and tailgating and the big crowds. And, uh, but this year we're, we're, we're doing the best we can to uh, being able to facilitate uh, being able to play games, and you have to have a lot of care and caution around that. Um, we left it up to the schools to make their own decisions about uh, fan attendance and fan capacity and how to manage those because there's so many local ordinances and differences and health situations across our 11 state footprint that that was something that each school had to decide. And really, they all came pretty close. They're all in the 25 to 30% range. Uh, we have one school that decided not to have uh, fans to begin the season. Uh, I think they've all left it open to to review their policies as the season progresses because things change so fast. We hope they change for the better, but in case they don't, they can change and adjust their policies otherwise. But they're going to try to – all the things that that we try to preach every day is to wear masks, social distance, uh, wash your hands. Those are things that we ask fans to do when they go to the games. And as you said, there's no tailgating, but, you know, if you come with a – I think in most places uh, our schools have said if you come with with your friends and you get out of your car and you're going to have something to eat there at your car and then you go on, but you don't put up tents, you don't bring the motorhomes, you don't bring the (laughs) dance floors and the disco balls that you've seen at some of our tailgate parties, uh, it's not going to be that this year. Uh, It's going to be much uh, quieter and and a different atmosphere, but hopefully uh, we're going to play a season of college football and uh, and a season in all of our other sports, and hopefully next year get back to some sense of normalcy. It's almost like as fans we need to just say, hey guys, look, let's humble ourselves. At least we get football back. So at least at least we get to experience it. Let's make some sacrifices uh, while we do this so we do it the right way and do it safely. Um, outside of 
I guess, lack of crowd noise, Herb. Will fans watching at home notice any big differences, do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. And we're talking about you know, how we can, you know, seen on baseball games and, and I think the NFL games are piping in crowd noise. I think our schools are going to do that. And so, you know, it's going to look different when you look at the stadium and not see the huge crowds. That's part of what the pageantry of college football is. Uh, we won't have the bands marching on the field. They will be in the stands. Um, but there's, you know, so there's going to be some differences. You know, college football is very different from the professional game because there are the, all those things around the game that are so important, the, the traditions. Uh, and you can go school by school about what they are. You know, if it's the, if it's the Aggie marching band at Texas A&M or it's UGA at, at Georgia, uh, it, you know, there's just there's so many things around it that, that, that won't be there this year or will be in a different format. Uh, that it's going to change the nature of the college game. But once the game is played, I think the competition is going to be uh, just as good as it's ever been. You you mentioned, uh, and just a quick thought on the other SEC sports returning, you mentioned soccer and cross-country will be back this weekend. Uh, Is it easier for those to operate mainly because they're they're just smaller numbers involved as opposed to football and that sort of thing? Is it it easier to control? And and what are you looking for most this weekend on, on making sure everything goes right? Well, I think it's easier to control from a fan standpoint. Uh, there's smaller venues and um, uh, different different crowd expectations there. But as far as the uh, the health protocols around the student athletes are the same. It's the same testing protocols. Uh, soccer and uh, football are both considered uh, high contact sports, and so we have protocols that call for three tests per week for student athletes. Um, and uh, there's, there's a lot of the same sanitization of facilities, social distancing, uh, all the precautions you take during uh, during travel, the, the contact tracing and quarantining that goes with all those. It's the same for football and for soccer, and, and then for volleyball, and that comes later. So there's there's a lot of things that are very similar among those sports when it takes care, when, it, when it takes into account the uh, the health and safety of student athletes and the coaches and officials and all those others who are around the sport. Last thing for you, Herb. Uh, you mentioned you you were on a call discussing you know baseball, softball, those kind of sports. Do you foresee those um, starting with no fans, or because they are outdoor sports, is it easier to have some capacity at those stadiums, or is that just something like you said with football, you'll leave totally up to those schools based on what their local, state, or county ordinances are? Yeah, it's really up to those schools and what those local ordinances are. The schools are best equipped to manage those and to understand what the challenges are, and so we'll leave that up to the schools. If LSU baseball says 25%, I mean, that's 2,500 people there from what they normally put in the seats for LSU baseball games. So it'll be interesting. Herb, thanks so much for the time. I know you're super busy, and uh, like we said, we just wanted to get somebody from the SEC office on to shed some light on how difficult it is, but also kind of send some kudos you guys' way from dealing with all the struggles and the hassles. But here we are a week from SEC football starting, and we couldn't be more excited. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Herb Vincent, uh, SEC Associate Commissioner here on the Locked On SEC Podcast. Coming up next, we continue our trek around the SEC East. Today we go out to South Carolina and catch up with Ben Briner from the state newspaper on GoCameCox.com. We'll get the latest from him as the Gamecocks have a new quarterback. And it's not Ryan Holinsky. We'll discuss that coming up next. Chris Gordy locked on SEC rolled along here and our SEC East 
week-long preview continues. I'm really excited to talk all things South Carolina Gamecocks with Ben Briner. He is of the state and go gamecocks.com. And we've got some breaking news today in that the South Carolina Gamecocks have named their quarterback. And I think, Ben, maybe not surprise, so surprising for South Carolina fans, but at least us folks on the outside, we all thought Ryan Holitsky was going to be the guy and seems like they're going to go a different direction. Yeah, they're going to go with Colin Hill. He's a graduate transfer from Colorado State. He um, was the quarterback for new offensive coordinator Mike Bobo uh, on and off for the last few years, dealing with, uh, I think, he had three torn ACLs. But he's, he's actually a South Carolina guy. Bobo, uh, being from Georgia, had pulled him out of the state a few years back. And soon after Bobo came, uh, uh, Colin Hill announced his graduate transfer. And when, we spoke, when I spoke to him, I think it was uh, maybe around late December, he basically said, I'm not coming there just to hold a clipboard. I'm coming there to compete for a job. And it's been kind of an interesting evolution because a lot of us thought, well, he's, he's coming here to hold a clipboard. But word started leaking out from camp that, no, he was getting a lot of work. And by the time camp really got going, um, it, it sort of became clear that the, the folks around the team just kept talking about his NFL arm, his NFL build. He can, he can probably move a little bit, bit, bit better than Helinski. And when you have all those factors, plus the fact that he's run this offense for four years and Ryan has run it for less than a year uh, with, you know, the COVID disruption, it started to seem very much like there wasn't uh, – Helinski was basically kind of boxed in a little bit, I think, in the competition. Though it sounds like by all indications he performed pretty well, all things considered. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, I think it's just a little surprising for us on the outside. When I look into it, though, Colin Hill, man, this is a kid who had a, a handful of 300 yard passing games. Now, granted, you know, we're coming from Colorado State, they were a little bit more pass happy there, but this guy seems like a guy who could get the job done. Do you think this is more, less of an indictment on Ryan Holinsky not stepping up to the plate, and more so Colin Hill just proved himself more? I think it's just sort of a, a quirky and unusual situation because he comes in no one gets a full off season to learn the offense so instead of so he so colin was going to miss or miss spring with uh still recovering from that last knee injury well instead of that being a thing that sets him back brian holinsky only gets five practices with the new offense and colin hill's been running it forever and it's an offense that has a lot more under center than they used to run. So you got to, you know, learn different footwork. There's all these sort of pieces. And it sounds like Colin Hill is a pretty decent talent, all things considered anyway. So you sort of fuse those together. It definitely kind of just, it started to just sort of feel like it was going to fall that way. But, you know, we're also in the age of coronavirus. So <laughs> there's an insignificant chance. Maybe he gets, maybe Ryan gets in anyway. It's been, uh, what, five, six years since Mike Bobo was in the SEC, of course, uh, longtime coordinator and, and coach at Georgia. Uh, what is the offense going to look like under Mike Bobo? I think it's going to be kind of a, a blend. I think you're going to see a lot more under center than most teams use. Uh, they, have, they, they brought in a grad transfer fullback from Colorado State. I think you're going to see you know, maybe a few more shot plays, uh, emphasis on the screen game where it can be. Uh, South Carolina's in a little bit of a pickle because um, a f- true freshman was probably going to be their best 
playmaker or one of their best playmakers. But uh, Marshawn Lloyd tore up his knee. They're going to have a little bit different kind of group, uh, different group backs out there maybe. But I think you're going to see a little more downhill power. Uh, they're actually going to huddle, which almost no one does anymore. I, th- I think it'll look different. Now the question is, you know, will it look more effective? Probably because last year's offense had a lot of problems, but, you know, a lot of that remains to be seen. Let's talk about the defensive line because there's been a lot of discussion there. They've, they've recruited well there, but what, uh, what do you make of how this defensive line shapes up going into the season? I think it is uh, kind of a put-up-or-shut-up time. Uh, they added Tracy Rocker from Tennessee, who is uh, considered maybe more of a developer than a recruiter, and he's got a lot of talent to develop. I think I was, uh, I was looking it over today, and if you look at it, they've got a starting line. Uh, what projects as their starting group is all upperclassmen, uh, guys who are seasoned, guys who have been around a good bit, and in the entire second unit is four or five-star kids. <laughs> so, you know. If you get those four or five stars to play like four or five stars and you have that veteran hand, you know, you could have a, a, a pretty good unit on your hands. But, you know, you still have to get to that point. Some of those four or five stars have been in the program for a year or two and haven't necessarily fully shown that or flashed that yet. So some of that's kind of wait and see. Yeah, I was going to ask, Jordan Birch was the big time, you know, top 10 recruit nationally, five star, you know, was coming down. It was LSU was in the running and then ends up staying home and going to South Carolina. What's been the early report on him so far? It sounds like he's been he's been doing well. Uh, he played on the on the small school level, which probably meant, uh, you know, getting used to some of the, the, the higher end talent he's going to be facing. But by, you know, the, the, the team had said all the right things about, he comes in, you can see the talent, he wants to work, uh, he kind of is he's attacking sort of that learning curve, which, you know, that, that's kind of what you want to see with a highly rated, um, that's what you want to see with a highly rated kid, because a lot of the time there's got to be, you know, decruiting and all that kind of stuff, and it sounds like he's not required too much of that. Talking with Ben Briner from the state newspaper and uh, GoGamecocks.com covers the South Carolina Gamecocks. Continuing to preview all the teams in the SEC East this week. Uh, give me one guy. If one guy you think is going to stand out for this team on defense, who is it? I think J.C. Horn. Um, I don't know if he'll have quite the bonkers numbers because he's never picked up a pass. Uh, mostly because you know teams avoid him more, but. I think he's going to be this team's best defensive player. Um, I think if it weren't for Javon Kinlaw, you could have made a case he was maybe their best defensive player last year. I mean, I think he's – I know he's an NFL guy, and I think he could be, you know, a first two days of the draft NFL guy. I think he's that good. What do you make of the the revised football schedule? I mean, look, everybody's got to go to the the ten conference schedule. It's it's not going to be easy, but you know, you're playing Auburn, you're playing Texas A and M, you're playing Ole Miss. What do you make out of the schedule sets up? I mean, it's it's a brutal schedule. You're talking about five games that project to be tougher than Tennessee at home in the opener. So that's six top fifteen teams. Uh, it might not be depending on your rankings. It could be five top ten teams or five close to top ten teams. I mean, it's a bear of a schedule, and it's not like the, the back half of it is easy either. You know, Missouri and Vanderbilt probably look like wins. At Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin and that talent, that's going to be tricky. 
Uh, at Kentucky, is always tricky for this team. And, you know, Kentucky is, you know, never a pushover. So I, it's, it's going to be a tough slate and a tough neighborhood. Uh, this team kind of got hurt simply by the fact that, um, you know, this was sort of a year where they were supposed to have three pretty easy games in the non-conference. They're all gone. Yeah. Um, so it, it certainly creates an uphill battle, but, you know, it was supposed to be kind of a, you know, prove it year for Will Muschamp. And at the moment, uh, you know, with athletic department finances, it probably is considerably less of a prove it year because firing any coaches this offseason is going to be a tall task. That, that's what I was going to ask is, does Muschamp get a pass this year? And in your mind, what's the line where it doesn't? For instance, if they go winless, if they go 0-10, do you think that leaves them with no excuse but to move on? They go winless, yeah, that's a, that's, that's a spot. I, I <laughs> it's don't, a bit extreme. If they, go but... winless, if they go winless or they win one game, it, I could not imagine them keeping him. If they win two games, still might be tough depending on how things fall. I honestly think three or seven or better is probably safe. I've heard some people in the building maybe a little, uh, a little more pessimistic than that. But, I mean, you've also got to remember – I think uh, Ray Tanner, the athletic director, came out and kind of said this. You're talking about a school that, based on their projected, uh, their updated projected revenue and their original projected expenses, came in at, I want to say, a $44 million deficit they have to make up. Now, I think they've cut about 10 off that to this point. But, you know, if you're short $34 million, you know, firing a coaching staff in which I want to say half the assistants have two-year deals, I mean, that's going to be a nightmare. That's going to be a disaster. <laughs> and Will Muchim himself, I think, I want to say his buyout is in the 12 or $13 million range, even after he had it cut down following last year. I mean, it would be a mammoth task. You would have to pass an awfully large hat to uh, get that kind of thing to happen. Now, you know, if you lose to Vanderbilt, Maybe maybe it comes to pass, but for the moment, I think it's going to take a lot to you know create any sort of change on that front. Talking with Ben Briner, the state newspaper, GoGameCocks.com. Last thing for you, uh, in a week, the Gamecocks play host to Tennessee. You lose by 20 to them last year, but prior to that had run off three straight against Tennessee. I know they are a preseason top 15 team coming into this year, but would certainly set the stage for a fun season if the Gamecocks can pull this off. Vegas only puts you as a three-point underdog, so uh, I think the Gamecocks can pull it off. I think they can, and I think that if they want to get where they want to be, they kind of have to. Because as I said, you know, you're talking about a season in which you've got two games you're going to be favored in, maybe. Uh, or no, it's two games you'll be favored in, and then the rest you'll probably be an underdog. So, you know, if you lose to Tennessee to get to four wins, you've got to win in Ole Miss and in uh, Lexington, or you've got to pull off, you know, an upset or two. And this is a team that last year lost its opener. Uh, that was actually an upset, but that kind of put them behind the eight ball because it was one they sort of desperately needed. And obviously Tennessee is better this year. Their their uh, Gamecocks are an underdog, but if they lose this first one, it kind of puts them a little bit behind that eight ball yet again. 
Yeah, if there's any good news, at least you get Clemson off the schedule this year. So there's that part of it. But uh, we'll be interesting to see as the uh, South Carolina Gamecocks take to the field a week from Saturday. That'll be the SEC Network evening game, South Carolina against Tennessee. Uh, ben Briner, really appreciate the time, man. And uh, we'll keep uh, w- watching your stuff throughout the season. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thanks so much. Ben Briner there, the state newspaper, gogamecocks.com. That is going to just about do it for us here on the show. Coming up tomorrow, you do not want to miss in our conversation with Ryan McGee, 50% of SEC Network's Marty and McGee. Really looking forward to talking with him. He's got a new book out called Sidelines and Bloodlines. And you can connect with me, Chris Gordy, on Twitter at Chris Gordy or at LockedOnSEC. And be sure to subscribe, follow our podcast right now on your favorite podcast app and you'll get the latest episode of Locked on SEC as soon as it is available each day. Now, if you got some time, go check out our brethren over at Locked on Big Ten. Man, do they have a lot to talk about. I know we discussed just SEC football here, but it's good to see the Big Ten is going to join the party and actually play college football this fall. Check them out. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.